1: it's the spit podcast it's early in the morning david is taking the crust out of his eyeballs right now as we speak and it is also wednesday march 17th which marks in this country and perhaps globally saint patrick's day which i don't know what to make of saint patrick's day what are your thoughts on saint patrick's day
0: yeah you're right it falls on a different day in other parts of the world they celebrate saint patrick's day in june (laughs) I'm do just, they really? No, I'm just kidding. It's the same everywhere. It's not an American holiday. I mean, is there St. Patrick's Day in Russia? I don't know that they celebrate it everywhere. I'm just saying wherever they do celebrate it, I think it's the same day. Uh you're asking what my take is. I have never gone to a bar at 7 a.m. to drink green beer. Um occasionally (laughs) occasionally i will have corned beef and cabbage and when i do i'm glad that i did and i wish that i had it more frequently i like soda bread since you're a bread connoisseur i just made some bread this morning actually i'm in the middle of folding my bread
1: i had corned beef and cabbage soup a couple of nights ago how's that it's pretty good it was pretty good seaside market outside there um i enjoy getting a a bowl of hot soup and sitting out there with my wife and people watching at Seaside Market. It's a lot of fun. And But this particular day was freezing. It was that night, a couple nights ago, where we had like 30 mile per hour onshore winds and about 50 degree. And it was like windshield factor of, of 30. But I was sitting out there. I met a friend of mine, Bob Campy, who's making a film on Dick Brewer, a documentary film on Dick Brewer. And we just kind of sat and chatted about
0: filmmaking and storytelling and stuff it was cool tell us about the film what do you know and obviously brewer's uh, still alive is he has he gotten interviews with brewer i don't
1: know uh well let me tell you what i do know so yeah the film is a documentary about dick brewer he has gotten interviews from all of the major players he has been on kawaii numerous times to to film dick and to film the people that need to be you know you know the talking heads that need to be uh in the film to sort of discuss what happened and um, yeah, you know, we talked about story arc and where the, where's the the conflict is and where's the resolution and all of that and and I think it's a I haven't seen the film so I can't comment on its quality but Bob's a good guy and a, and a established storyteller and filmmaker and, and he's done a bunch of productions for Netflix and stuff like that so he's he's legit and. Um, and we'll see where where it takes us. You know, there's definitely a lot of drama in Dick Brewer's life. So there's no lack of conflict. Um, and and I think a lot, I think some of it um people might not know, know about. I, I don't know? know it. Yeah, well, I don't wanna um spoil the, the party here, but there's been some real tragic events um regarding Dick and his family. And um so that stuff will be revealed, I'm sure. And yeah, we were just kind of talking about. He was actually looking for um, somebody to via voiceover the young Dick Brewer during because he's got some. Some of the documentary has actors to act out certain set, you know, parts of it. You know, yeah, sounds like a big production. It is. It's a big production. It's pretty much more or less. I think it's more or less wrapped up. I'm sure there's some loose ends like music licensing and all that crap but
0: yeah um i was gonna ask you about podcasts do a segue into a podcast chat where have all the podcasts gone where's the awk cast even (laughs) even derek riley and chaz's dirty water i haven't seen in a while like we we you i feel like maybe you asked me a year ago or maybe even longer now about the new influx because there was a whole bunch that i can't even remember now by the way and i said you know what ask me after 20 episodes like it's a labor of love and a lot of people get hot and heavy into it but they tend to fizzle where are all the podcasts scott bass
1: this is a great question and um they're probably fizzling and it's easy to do as you know, I, when, when the COVID hit, I sort of took a back seat on my boardroom podcast because there was just an influx. It just felt like, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this sort of like scurrying to the, to the content. And, and so I just backed out of it and I wanted to sit back on the sidelines and watch it all happen. And um, you know what, we're, we're in full flight here. You and I, you've, you've constantly been a, uh, a marker of consistency and um the surf splendor network is is powerful and and kudos to you but the other podcasts i have no idea i actually don't listen to surf podcasts i know me neither i very rarely do i i should i want to listen to the one um with jamie and um those guys from new york right are they from florida Tyler. Yeah. yeah Brew Brower. Is it Brower or Brewer? Brower? Brewer. Cause I love history, you know, and it seems like they've got a big history spin and I love that stuff. And, and and that's actually what the Dick Brewer to me, the Dick Brewer film, it needs to be told because there's guys that are shaping boards right now that are 20 something years old that maybe have heard of Dick Brewer. I bet there's some that don't even know who he is, which is a Travis Sham mockery if that's the case, but I just feel like, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's so funny, you know, like when you're 30, you're like, Oh, history, whatever. I don't give a shit about it. And then as you get older, like, at least for me, as I get older, I'm like, wow, history is the most important thing. You know, it's like the lights finally come on, you know, it's kind of trite, but it is what it is, you know? And so I'm stoked on their, their podcast. And, and I think that this Dick Brewer thing is important. And I think it's important for us to do a little bit of, of history on our show. In fact, I have a quiz. You and the listeners today.
0: Great. Yes. I'm terrible at these. Um, before we get to the quiz, I will say there's you can't even fault the 30-year-old for not knowing who Dick Brewer is, because it you could fault us for not educating them about that, but you can become a surfer now. Sadly, you can just get your board at Costco you can show up and there's, you know, no kook you, we haven't instituted kook you yet or got it licensed by the government and as a, as an educational institution. And, um, so you can easily just do the thing without having all the same, uh, exposures that you and I had through the magazines, you know, like you could just follow maybe Ben gravy on Instagram and that psychs you up or on YouTube. And then you'll show up at the beach and Surf your wave storm or whatever else. So, it's a very different. The surf culture, the direction that the surf culture goes with all these new vowels, is very uh, dependent upon people who are creating content. You know, it'll be influenced by the people creating the content.
1: Yeah, and we're we're gonna step up. I mean, we have the cool thing is is that surfboards, by their very nature, have history built into them. You know, um, like the Andy movie that we were talking about that Ashton and Stab did Um, there's a lot real heavy historical surfboard kind of um, you know, piece to that. Right. And so, you know, it's our job to educate about history and about shapers and we can do that through some of the greatest rides that ever occurred in surfing, which is what surfing is all about riding the wave. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. And surfboards, you're right. Like that Andy piece couldn't not talk about surfboards and obviously the dick brewer piece is going to be centered around surfboards and so that is i think the one common denominator among everybody's surf experience Um, and this is a
1: great segue real quick for the california gold surf auction which is taking place the bidding begins april 2nd lots begin closing friday april 16th at 5 p.m pacific standard time the california gold surf auction david we have boards by Dick Brewer, Barry Kaniapuni, Hobie, Greg Knoll, George Greeno, Al Merrick, uh, Jerry Lopez. You know, I don't have the list in front of me, but the list goes on and on. And it's um, it's an incredible list of historic
0: and significant surfboards. So California Gold Surf Auction. Do you find it harder each year to find boards or easier? Um. Well, what's
1: beautiful is that the cream always rises to the top. So I will um, have some boards early in the process and then new better boards will come and I will take one board out and replace it with a similar board, but that's a more, um, you know, has more provenance, has more backstory, you know, so there's a lot of kind of shuffling boards in and out, you know, but I absolutely love it. I, I think I've told you before, you know, I get to drive up and down the coast and go into people's garages and homes and see these boards and 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 then hear the history behind the board we just got a, two boards from hawaii that are just classic 1930s waikiki beach boy boards wow that are insane like the history behind them is incredible they're riders you can tell they were ridden for decades you know wow and um and yesterday I found myself going down a rabbit hole in Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing watching videos of Waikiki in 1930 and uh, it was fascinating you know and these beach boys riding these boards this this these boards one of them's thin you know so I'm like wow this is actually a rider it's kind of light you know mm. I was like this thing I could see these guys riding these boards so I went and watched and I did see these guys riding these boards and it was really cool and uh, anyway we got a bunch of cool boards
0: do, who are the manufacturers
1: of those boards? Well, this one was built by a Hawaiian. You know, like this is huh. just a Hawaiian built 1930s Waikiki style. I'm sure that he probably saw the Pacific Systems Homes boards that were over there. And you can tell he he made it kind of similar, like just a bunch of pieces of wood laid up with, with like a nose block and a square tail. And these Hawaiians were just carpenters, you know, 1920s carpenters that were builders and they just built themselves boards. They're like, look at this, let's make it thinner, you know, and they have dowels in the rails and stuff. And, um, the cool thing is they're well-ridden, which I love, you know, and so they have like era specific, you know, patchwork where they've had to do repairs that, you know, they did in like 1942 after they dinged it or some,
0: you know, it's really cool. Crazy. Um, so I got listener feedback. Remember, I, maybe I said it, but we talked about it, about um, the idea of opening a trade school for surfboard builders. Yes. This, somebody replied he would prefer to stay anonymous, but he said, I have worked in the local surfboard industry most of my life. I eventually started a glass shop with another longtime board builder. We worked 45 plus hours a week doing all the labor ourselves. Our work was very high quality and our prices were on the high side. We were never for a lack of work and in most cases too busy even when clark foam closed all that said none of us ever made more than sixty thousand dollars a year we eventually opened a bigger shop and took on employees the retro movement glass jobs now became extremely labor intensive and instead of a board taking a week or less to complete it now took much longer to complete the glassing process while we were actually working longer hours at this point and had taken on the extra duties of managing employees, uh, we weren't making any more money. The costs of all this extra work never fairly passed on to the client or the consumer. We still never made more than $60,000 a year. And where I live, the median home price has climbed to $1.2 million. So even if the price of a glass job was doubled, it still wouldn't it be. I would still struggle to earn a living. This is a fundamental problem with board building in California. After 30 years of building boards, I could no longer afford to do it. And by the way, he said as a PS, we were working so much to meet demand that our surfing that our time in the water surfing suffered greatly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to begin on that. I'm I'm, you know, part of me is like, well, you know, I guess the cost of living just outpaced the value of being a, a board builder, you know. I mean, if the home prices are at 1.2 million, you know, does the end consumer bear the responsibility of real estate prices shooting through the roof? You know, um, I, I there's there's, not there's the a lot of moving. It. Yeah,
0: the way Go that ahead. I the well the way that I see it is, um, you have to educate the listener or not the listener the the consumer about the value between something being made locally versus something being made overseas. And then the consumer can decide whether or not they wanna pay the premium for the locally made thing. And so I think you know what he would have to stand on or uh, educate his consumers about, or maybe his sales team or whoever he's laminating boards for, their sales team has to educate about is, in California, we're held to a higher standard of, um, employee practices for health and well-being yeah. and all that sort of stuff were held to higher disposal um you know regulations for the EPA and all that sort of stuff so by paying me $2000 instead of somebody else $800 you know that the employees make a living wage they have proper ventilation and respiration they have health benefits they have a retirement plan all this sort of stuff and so then the consumer kind of understands embedded in all of that is you have a highly trained workforce who's getting paid more than somebody maybe across the border or overseas who is just, you know, uh, replaceable on a daily kind of on a daily wage. And a lot of other industries have gone through those efforts to do those things. And exactly. I always, and I always think about like, my buddies are really into cycling and there's, yeah. From the bike brands that they purchase from you can buy an american-made version of the bike it's fifteen thousand dollars or you can buy the one that's imported that's mass produced and those are five thousand dollars you know and it turns out that there's a wait list to get the american made ones you know
1: well the problem the problem here is that there's never been um a surfboard builders association they've always Been just kind of their own thing they don't like to get together and sort of go hey you guys we're all doing this we're all in the same boat let's join forces you know it's it's taken um a massive flux of overseas boards to even have somebody like dennis jarvis or or whoever there's been a few players in this space that have raised their hand and said hey you guys let's have you has anyone thought about getting together and joining together and creating an association um and they just i mean like if you went to the local factory up there where you're at or the one where i'm at here and you said hey i um, trying to cobble together an association so we can uh educate the consumers about what's going on here they're all gonna go nah you know they're all like i mean it's i don't know but you know
0: well in many ways the, go ahead there's a time where you need to realize the guy down the street is no longer your biggest competition, that there's a much larger behemoth that's already taken 50% of your shelf space at the retailer who is ultimately compromising your way of life. And I don't mean that like domestic way of life has more value than foreign way of life, but there's a culture here then the culture is kind of what you need to protect, protect. If the culture gets completely eroded by what is just a business being run with employees who don't surf and are um, replaceable on a daily basis, then that's more valuable than just the $2,000 it costs to buy that more expensive surfboard. The culture is eroding. And when you see guys like, I mean, I guess I probably shouldn't name any by, na- by name, but there are laminators and Sanders working locally that have done it for 40 and 50 years who do not have an apprentice working under them. And so that amount of uh, knowledge and legacy will end up just retiring and eventually dying without ever being passed down. And so that's the cultural erosion that we should really be concerned about more than just saving uh, a few okay. hundred bucks on a surfboard.
1: Couple things you you you've bitten fitting off a big chunk here. First thing I want to ask you is if we were to role play and we were in this surfboard manufacturing association, um, and we're like, hey, okay, let's. We've got like a, you know 50 of us from the state of California all together. Um, they've asked us to come up with some bullet points, some some um, things that we should educate the public on, the consumer on, and the sales teams on. What's the first? target? Who, who do we really go after? What's our biggest problem? And yeah,
0: I would say we need to focus on the Costco board. I don't think it's that way at all. I don't think there's any target that we're aiming for. All that we're trying to do is educate the public about what we do really well and the pioneering kind of legacy of California board building. That's it. There's no enemies out there. There's only right. educating the consumer, and the consumer right. can then choose what they want to buy. And to be honest, well, guess, probably guess also... what does that? What the boardroom surfboard show does
1: that? The boardroom surfboard show's been doing that since 2007. I mean, yeah. that's the main purpose is to tell people, look, there's nothing more important in our legacy than the surfboard. It, it defines who we are, and the people yeah. that make them are the backbone of the culture, the Dick Brewers of the world, the you yeah. know, Marcio Zuvi of the world.
0: And I think that the consumer will, um, th- all things will still exist. In that future, the role play future that we just talked about, the consumer will probably have the locally made board. And then they probably have a Costco board or two in the garage for when, you know, kids, mm-hmm the kids want to take that to the beach or family comes over and whatever. And then they probably even have some kind of middle run of the mill, something that was imported as well. I think there's room for everything to exist, but without making those measures, one of those things ends up going away. And unfortunately it's kind of the most important one.
1: Yeah. it, it it'll be interesting to see how it all fleshes out. It's, it's been going on, you know, for quite a while now. And as we mentioned last time, it seems like there's all the big, you know, like diamond glassings are sort of falling off the wayside and there's a bunch of small little sort of, for lack of a better phrase, ma and pa glass shops popping up. And I think that we'll always see that. I think that we will always see some small glass shops popping up. I think those will, some will fade away and a new 22 year old kid will open it up and want to invest his, Future in this thing that he loves, and God bless him for it. You know,
0: yeah, it's very interesting. Um, this all came up organically, but uh, Chaz, I think, wrote an article on Beach Grit about the growth like a projection that the surfboard industry, the global surfboard industry, will reach 11.5 billion by 2027 so i was like that sounds outrageous so i clicked through and kind of read and it's basically an article that's um talking about the growth of the of china's surfboard production and what it's projected to grow at and so his numbers are all extrapolations of what it is currently and what the projections are ultimately i don't think it's ever going to get near that what i was surprised to see was that um it said domestic U.S. board building is currently at $2.1 billion. That seems outrageously high to me as well. But yeah, I don't know. The other thing is like, I don't see the growth continuing uh, infinitely. You know what I mean? Like, I think we've experienced a boom in the last year or two that everybody's benefiting from, but I don't know how long that can go on.
1: Well, here's a couple of things, right? Is that we have sort of um, and rainbow, Chris will love this, but we sort of have myopic North American blinders on. Yeah, and so if Chaz has extrapolated some numbers, I don't, I haven't seen the article, but I don't doubt them because what we need to realize is that the growth of surfboards and and surfboard consumers in China and in Southeast Asia and in Asia in general is hasn't even started yet. Like it's going to blow up. You know, and I wouldn't say by 2027, but I bet by 2040, it's, it's going to, you know, the Olympics are going to help this, that I think there's a lot of growth. I I would suggest to you, North America, maybe is kind of like, okay, it's just is where it is and it's, and it's healthy and it's going to kind of stay there and it might move a little bit one way or the other, but where it's really going to drive forward, I think is in Asia. I think that's where you're going to, and I don't mean the boards coming over here. I mean, the consumer, the end consumer coming from Asia. Why
0: do you think that's going to blow up?
1: Well, I just mentioned, you know, um, the sport hasn't even because surfing's surfing's a pretty powerful thing. Riding waves. There's I think that you and I have been infatuated by it since we were 14 years old. And that is going to happen even if you're in a communist state. There's going to be 14 year olds that are like. And it's, there's already Olympic surfing in China. So it's not like the nation state's going to put too much of a, I mean, who knows what they're going to do with freedom there, but I know that they don't like people meandering and riding waves around their coastline. (laughs) (laughs) They're a little concerned about that. But anyway, because there's, there's so many friggin' Chinese people, that's why. (laughs) And there's, and it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a, there's some, a lot of capitalism in China, believe it or not
0: yeah i don't know i just feel i mean you and i have been obsessed with it because we're very very fortunate to grow up near a coastline where there's decent waves and that's such a small percentage of humanity and even though china has coastline the waves aren't great and the resources to actually surf the waves it comes with a certain level of socioeconomic status you know
1: yeah well this brings this is a great segue right so i got an email from rainbow chris in new zealand i don't know if you got this but he basically said hey i gotta tell you honestly you and david are ultra crepidarian but you're my favorite ultra crepidarians you want me to tell you what ultra crepidarian means the definition of this word ultra dying
0: dying to know
1: okay <laughs> Noting or pertaining to a person who criticizes judges or gives advice outside the area of his or her expertise. (laughs) I agree. Now, Chris goes on to say, within the Surf Splendor Network, the ultra-crepidarian list goes like this. There's Chaz. Then there's a big, big gap. (laughs) Then there's Scott david tyler jamie another gap and then there's matt warshaw who is an associate so Chaz apparently is the hugest ultra crepidarian and i asked him i said well i said rainbow how big is the gap between me and Chaz? i need to know and he goes the gap is vast it's so large i can't really even explain but trust me it's a big big gap <laughs> so there's Chaz, and then there's the rest of us
0: that's very very funny <laughs> yeah i like it it's part of like i mean it probably goes without saying but or i'll ask you actually do you play up a role on the podcast
1: no i mean look i am who i am i'm really? the first one to say sh- yeah i'm the first one to say i i, I i'm not here to put a uh, put a spin on who i am I, i'm gonna i am
0: book. I'm here, your hairdo. <laughs> I'm here to put a spin on who I am. I mean, I, I am a version of myself on the podcast, but um, I mean, the, the views that I espouse privately are different than the ones. I mean, oftentimes I will just take the opposite stance of you just for the sake of making it a better conversation or a better podcast, you know, and then argue wholeheartedly that stance, something that I don't necessarily apply in my real life or believe in my real life.
1: Oh, so you're a liar. You've basically taken the integrity out of this entire podcast. People are people are running from us right now. I'm is not it, like is it a lie or I'm, is it
0: entertainment, Scott? I'm an entertainer. Watch my song and dance. Oh, my Lord. And then sign this contract. Send me your money. Um, um,
1: are you ready for my quiz? I guess, yeah. Or did, did I segue too quickly from this conversation? I wanted to
0: ask you about your podcast, but we can come back to it. Let's do this. Okay. Now,
1: the question is, how do we do this so that the listeners get a chance to respond? Or is that just not going to happen? Why don't I save one of the questions? Well, no, the thing is, is that then they can just Google it. So that's no good.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. Okay, here's the first question, David, for you. This is our um, spit surf quiz. Which surfer first paddled out and rode Waimea Bay? Mm. You're not going to get it. I'm not. I don't think so.
0: Uh, unless you're googling
1: right. Unless you're no, googling right. I'm not now.
0: googling right now. I'm trying to think of what era this would have even been. I mean, the first name that I kind of thought of was Fred Hemings, but he couldn't have been the first because he's not old enough. Um, what can we give? Can you give me an era?
1: Yeah, it's probably the late fifties, mid, mid to late fifties. George Downing. Well. A quiet Long Beach lifeguard named Harry Skirch had been out all alone by himself a couple of hours earlier than the day that Greg Knoll and a crew of seven or eight guys paddled out. So Greg Knoll and this crew of guys paddled out and are widely touted as the first crew that conquered Waimea, that rode a wave there. There had been two guys that paddled down from Sunset Beach when it was maxing, and one of them died, and the other one barely made it to shore. But
0: they didn't ride a wave. Paddled from Sunset to Waimea, just trying to find somewhere to get in? To get in, yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, Dickie Cross passed
1: away, and there was another guy who – And you can go into Matt's website and find the – I was going to say you found all
0: this when you were looking for your surfboard uh, info.
1: I spend a lot of time enjoying Matt Warshaw's encyclopedia of surfing. It's, it's engaging. So this, this lifeguard, Harry Skirch was out before these guys. He was the first guy to ride away there. Some are saying, Hey, well, it was smaller. It hadn't quite come up that much, but it was the same morning. So, I mean, how much smaller it could have been?
0: And, anyway, and honestly, the, even just the balls to paddle out there and be the first to do something is worth noting. By
1: yourself? Yeah. All alone? Yeah. The the thing about that question is nobody's gonna you know really throw that name out. That's kind of a trick question almost. But yeah,
0: it's a name I'd never heard of before. But um, we should just start using that name because it's our Harry it's, it's our responsibility to educate the youth. The Val. Yes, Harry, Harry Skirch from should, my hometown, would, by the way,
1: Long Beach. I would like for people and that includes us to do a little bit more research on Harry Skirch, and um, and this whole story actually, you know, because like I said, it's widely reported in our culture that Greg Noll and this crew of guys, which included Mickey Munoz and some other guys um, were the first ones that said, because for a long time they were like, holy shit, this place kills people. You know, Dickie Cross died here. The other gentleman barely made it alive. It it put a real kind of spooky vibe on Waimea for a long time that there had been a death there, that that's where you go to die. And finally they looked at it and it was perfect. And they're like, you know what? And it was only a 15 foot day. It wasn't like huge macking wine, man. They're like, let's go try it, you know? And they went out and did it. But before they did that, Harry Skirch was out there.
0: How is Skirch spelled? S-C, it's like S-Church, S-C-H-U-R-C-H. Got it. What if Harry Skirch is still alive? What if he lives in Long Beach and he's 20 minutes down the road from me and I could interview him?
1: That would be sick. I would love that i hope that's the case
0: okay um
1: here's next question what is the nickname of big wave hawaiian surfer james jones jj (laughs) (laughs) good that was a good good shot in the dark uh booby jones james (laughs) booby jones
0: do you want to explain Here's one why? that's more No, explain why. Uh, Are there photos? I don't know why. I
1: just I I James Jones has been a part of me <laughs> like I've known about James Booby Jones since I was 14 years old. He was in all of the magazines that I read.
0: Is it a reference to his uh physique?
1: He's a stud. He's a full-on legendary big wave surfer. Underrated.
0: So the booby okay. doesn't have to do with his physique. Maybe he booby trapped somebody?
1: I don't know the uh reasoning i don't know the
0: do a deeper dive do a deeper dive into that eos
1: that just means emailing matt that's all that means a deeper dive (laughs)
0: hey you know what i always wonder Uh, yeah uh like with harry skirch if i just said to matt today hey who's the first guy to surf Waimea?" does his brain actually remember all the information that he has cataloged
1: let's find out dial him up or just or does he or does he do a? eos search are you suggesting that he does an eos search
0: i would just be amazed out? i mean look i've talked to him enough that i should probably just say yes he would, yeah, he, would he does know. he seems to have yeah. that encyclopedic knowledge
1: yeah especially this one because this one's one of those tricky ones where he'd go oh you might be thinking greg knoll but right. it's actually
0: right
1: yeah um this one's more contemporary hopefully the listeners will get this one this is a little easier in may mm-hmm. of 20 uh, yeah. In May of 2005, in the final heat of the Billabong Tahiti Pro Contest at Chopu, Kelly Slater became the first surfer ever to be awarded two perfect scores for a total of 20 out of 20 points under the ASP two-wave scoring system. Which surfer did he defeat in the finals? Bruce Irons. That's it. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. I wanted to give you I've an been- easier
0: one. Thank you. I've been outed as a liar and a uh, not knowing surf history.
1: Right. Exactly. Lost all
0: my credibility here. I
1: know. We need to name this special podcast. <laughs> uh, okay. This one's kind of difficult, but it should be one that you get. Um, so there are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 surfers that make up the momentum generation. Taylor Steele's Famous movie Momentum. These are the 10 surfers that were featured in the film. No, I'm just, way. I'm just writing you, them
0: down. I'm writing them down. That's all. Okay. Okay. Um, Go ahead. Name the 10. Or maybe you
1: should just name eight of the ten.
0: Um I can probably, I could certainly, I think I already wrote down eight. So I've got Kelly, yes. Rob, Rob Machado, yes. Shane yes. Dorian, Ross yes. Williams. Kalani Rob.
1: Oh, I don't have Ross on this list. I don't have Ross. I don't think. I don't see him. Okay, go ahead. So there's eleven.
0: <laughs> Kalani Rob. Right. Taylor Knox. Right. Benji Weatherly. Yep. Pat O'Connell. Yep. And the Malloy brothers. No. So you can't not to, have the Malloys. Well, I'm just saying. Okay, then let me let me keep going. I, that's whatever that is, eight. Yeah. Uh, so you asked for ten.
1: Yeah, without Ross Williams.
0: But I did say I already said Pat O'Connell. Um, yeah. Hmm. There's one that's
1: kind of a wild card, but it's but, definitely one of the guys. Huh. Greg Browning.
0: Yeah, Greg Browning. Okay, I loved Greg. And Greg's layback.
1: Uh, also on this list is Donovan Frankenrider.
0: Yeah, he's a gimme.
1: And, and Conan Hayes. Yeah. Those are the two that kind of are, are ones that are hard to get, I think.
0: So I will say in that movement, there were guys who had their own section and there were guys that they crammed into a section together. And that was a revolving cast of characters, whether it was momentum, focus, good times, and all the films that came after those. This is specifically the first movie. Okay.
1: This, okay. this question. This is okay. specifically the first movie. And and I got I saw a picture that Steve Sherman posted on Instagram of those guys, and I was like, God, there was one guy. I go, Who is that guy? I, I thought it was maybe Trevor Christ, but I so I I sent a, a direct message to Sherman. I'm like, Hey, who's this guy? And he goes, That's Benji Weatherly. I didn't recognize Benji. And then I go, well, who's missing? And um, and he threw out, well, no, that I don't think he threw out any other name. Or no, he gave me Pat O'Connell, who wasn't in the picture. And he gave me Kalani Rob who wasn't in the picture. But yeah. Ross Williams wasn't in there, and he needs to be. And the Malloys, I think, are more about Taylor Steele movies that followed. But I could be wrong.
0: You're right. They might not have been in that original one, but they were in every subsequent one. Timmy Curran joined the cast right after, but he was younger, so he didn't kind of fit the same uh, generational narrative.
1: You know what? This is a great time for us to talk about eBay
0: sneakers. Perfect, Scott. <laughs> Enjoy your bathroom break. And now back to the podcast. Your mo- mobility looks fluid this week. Have you been working on? staying active doing yoga i
1: I have been actually i've been trying to i've been trying to keep it going for sure
0: yeah Yeah, good you were talking last week about getting stiff if you sit for too long you looked spry Yeah. yeah thanks i'm still getting stiff but yeah
1: um you mentioned a couple of things you wanted to talk about my podcast or something
0: We'll get to that. But you were talking about Pat O'Connell uh as part of the momentum generation. Huge news oh, from Pat here O'Connell we go. Here this we week. Here. Yes. Go. Yes. Pat O'Connell, SVP, or I'm sorry, Pat O'Connell comes to the Florence from the Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I forgot what I was reading. This is the press release. I should explain what this is before I read it. This is a press release from Florence Marine X. Do you know what Florence Marine X is, Scott? I know that it's like a brand
1: that John John Florence is about. And it's the guys from Kandui, the Hurley brothers from Kandui who run it.
0: Very good. So when the Hurley family, Bob and his sons left the Hurley brand because of the Nike and subsequent buyouts and takeovers, they formed a little holding group called Kandui and they purchased a shoe brand, Simple, And they're launching a couple of other brands within that LLC. John John Florence announced one year ago that he would be launching his own clothing line that is kind of catering to the surf community but also the sailing community. It's outdoor on the water or in the water clothing, technical gear and clothing. So that was a year ago. We never have seen any products. We've seen John's logo. We've seen John putting the sticker on his board. But a lot of time has transpired without seeing any plan or any products. The latest news came this week in a press release from the company, and it says Pat O'Connell comes to Florence from the World Surf League, where he was the SVP, head of tours and competition, responsible for overseeing the development of all of the WSL's various tours. Prior, Pat was the VP of sports marketing for Hurley where he architected the most dominant surf athlete program in the sports history. Pat said, I couldn't be more excited to work with John and his team and create the brand that will inspire people and to get out and explore. We have an incredible opportunity to do things different with Florence Marine X and the future of the brand looks incredibly bright. John John Florence himself said, I'm incredibly thankful to have Pat come aboard. He, we have a great history working together and I'm really excited for the road ahead. What are your thoughts, Scott?
1: My thoughts are Pat O'Connell made the best move he's ever made. Probably This is awesome mm-hmm. for him. The, the, the potential is through the roof for this brand, for the idea that it's not surf specific, that it's kind of speaks more to the adventuring outdoors, you know, 20 something, um, you know, individual that's, that's, You know, ready to go do stuff, whether it's sailing or mountain biking or surfing or foiling or whatever it is. So I love the the demographic that I think that they're attacking. I love the potential of not being just sort of surf specific. That they're they're opening up their uh, the inclusivity for the brand. I just think it's awesome. And um, this is the type of gig that could lead to Pat O'Connell, like you know, leading some massive brand in the future, like going to Nike or something like that. Like this, this in 10 years, you know, this could be, this is a really cool thing. And I'm, I'm, I would be, I'll be the first one to sign up for Florence Marine X. I'm right in their demographic wheelhouse. You know, I'm doing all sorts of stuff outside besides surfing and, um, and
0: I think it's cool. I do too. And the one thing I don't love is the name Florence Marine X. Uh, and I think that they've heard that feedback and I don't know that they even care or that they'll ever change it, but that's the one hiccup I have with all of this. I don't like seeing it on paper. I don't like saying it out loud. It's just a mouthful. Right. And I love Florence and I love Marine and X is cool, but it just doesn't, it's just too much. So that's my only hiccup here. It's a superficial one. Everything else I love about it. The fact that these people have worked together for decades now and have achieved, the highest levels of our sport, both in terms of winning world titles, both in terms of kind of brand expansion and taking over and still staying core, despite the corporate buyout, everybody made money along the way. Like it's, they have the recipe for success. And I think that they're doing things now um, on their own terms, which is super important. And you said you, design this trajectory for pat o'connell to take over the world to be honest i don't think that's pat's plan i don't think that was ever pat's plan i think pat pat puts just as much uh time and energy and effort into living a lifestyle that he wants to live and this probably fits that objective more than some corporate gig could and i just hold I, on, I, I see hold all on. good things. i didn't
1: I didn't, all I'm suggesting is this sets him up for something like that. I wasn't suggesting that this was Pat's plan was, I didn't I wasn't suggesting this was a stepping stone towards the presidency. I'm just saying that, that there's so much upside here that if this brand grows into the thing that I think it will, there's going to be plenty of headhunters. That are going to be like, Hey, are you interested in that? You're interested in this. And they're in 10 years, he could be like, yeah, well, let me try this over here or this over there. I'm just saying that it, he's going to have people calling it, calling on him is all I'm saying.
0: I, I know. And I didn't say that you said that. And I didn't think you came across that way. And by the way, Pat, I didn't say from that press release, but he is the president. He's joining the company as the president of the company. And I actually don't foresee this becoming a 100 or $200 million company. I And I don't know their goals. They have not expressed that to me. So I'm just speaking from opinion. But I could see them just kind of comfortably. <laughs> I could see them just comfortably being a medium-sized no company. You don't think so? You think they're going to try to blow up? Well, every company tries to blow not up. True. That's what capitalism is. Not I true. think it
1: is. That's I think 100% it is. not true. Are you telling me that there's companies that are like, no, we don't want any more sales? Yes, sales are bad. Yes. Ooh, name it. Name the company.
0: I don't want to name them, but I've had those conversations with those companies and it's in an under Don't want sales? Listen to me. You're saying it wrong. There's a there's an understanding that to go to national distribution through Nordstrom or Macy's you have to change your entire business model. You have to give tons of freebies, you have to take back product that compromises your bottom line tremendously. So with this specific product that they're talking about, at $20 million, you can sell through core retail and through e-com and you can manage all of that and your profitability is actually higher than if you make the leap to the next level, shift that business model, accommodate all of the needs of those giant retailers, you end up actually Profiting less money at the end of the year—that's a real,
1: that's a real stat. Okay, all right. So I I find that hard to believe, but I mean, I believe what I believe the the paradigms. (laughs) I I believe the paradigms that you're suggesting. What, and I believe that they're probably they probably believe that in their heart. But at some time, at some point in time, when sales get when things are going so good, you get external pressures from other, even though you're still a private company, and there's there's people that are like, hey, like. Like, we can, and and who's to say, by the way, that you can't expand sales and keep that model? Like, who's to say you have to go to this next leap? Like, you're well, saying the, the, the people who have done
0: yeah, it, the people who have done those are last old pa- no, old no, no. paradigms, old paradigms that are I'm different. telling you we're, we're in a different age. I'm telling you, okay. the people that we are specifically talking about have done it and they've made those negotiations and compromises in the past, and they're setting up a model right now where they can live the lifestyle that they want to live. Hire the people they want to hire. Everybody can make a healthy living doing it, and they can make the products they want for the people that they want to make them for. And I think that's the equation. And time will tell. Maybe, maybe ten years from now, we'll be talking, and you'll be like, "See, they're in Nordstrom now, and they're in Macy's." And I don't, I don't, I don't think it. they have. I'm not saying they have to be in Nordstrom or Macy's. I'm just saying that they can keep
1: the model and and build it out. And cha- and things are changing. Like we don't know how this whole thing is going to play out in, in the digital space. And And I just think that that businesses that turn away sales because of some uh, mission statement that they created eight years ago are changing their mission statement. And, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, if ever there was a time where we're both ultra crepidarians, I think it's now.
0: Uh, congratulations to Pat. I think this is a great move. I think Pat's just made good move after good move. Like when he moved from Hurley to the WSL, we were scratching our heads, not questioning the move, but wondering what we didn't know was going on at Hurley. And we found out a year later. So he saw that writing on the wall or had that information in advance. And he, um, yeah, and he, you know, had a, was able to diversify his resume by working at the WSL and put some good events on the schedule, by the way, they didn't come to fruition, but they were on the schedule in 2019. And, and now he's making another great move that I think will support his lifestyle. And you'll get to work with people that he loves. And it just seems Pat is so likable. He's so great. Everybody wants to work with Pat. And so I think it's good to see good people, you know, do well and thrive. So.
1: Absolutely congratulations to pat by the way somebody sent me yesterday just randomly an amazon link and i opened it and you could get hurley beard tonic oh yeah you could get hurley's men's lotion fragrances and hurley suntan lotion yep. like <laughs> they've, they've fully gone the way of uh you know moving that moving that brand licensing that name
0: yep yeah it's crazy Um, By the
1: way, there was one question I forgot to ask you. Okay. In the in the quiz in the spit quiz, how many operational open to the public wave pools exist right now today where you and I could go and surf?
0: Great question. I've thought about this often because they pop up faster than I can keep track of. I'm going to say twelve. No, good, close, uh, pretty close. Excuse me. There's eight of them. I was going to say eight. There's Kelly. I upped it.
1: Yeah, there's Kelly Surf Ranch. There's the BSR Surf Ranch in Texas, Waco. There's um, American Dream, which I don't even know where that exists. There's the Adventure Park, Snowdonia, the very first one. There's the Wave. There's Wave Park. And there's Urban Surf. There's also Alaya Bay, which opens this June in Switzerland in the Alps. So those eight include one that's opening In a couple of months.
0: I think American dream is in New Jersey.
1: I do too. I think that's what I was thinking. Okay. The wave is in Bristol, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wave park. Wave park must be. uh, Wave park.
0: Wave park. Is that,
1: is that part of, is that like one of maybe. I can't. Yeah. um, I don't know.
0: That's the thing. Some of them, their names are so generic that they all just blend together. You know what I mean? Which, which one's the best name? Surf Ranch. Yeah, that's pretty good. Because it's that's a whole theme, you know, it's a cowboy theme and it's in cowboy country. Yeah. Um, speaking of Surf Ranch, Kelly Slater has been surfing up a storm in Hawaii. <laughs> I got
1: some skinny on Slater from somebody who had who was over in Hawaii this week and had dinner with some people that are very close to the situation. Go on. I know that you, I know that, did you just do a, a grit with Chaz and talk about this, by the way?
0: No, I don't no? think so. Okay. Or I mean, we did an episode on Friday, but I don't think we talked about it.
1: Because Chaz has been, well, you and I have been in on some of this, right? Some you and I Instagram did a deep follow. dive last week. Yeah, but I mean, there's been some Instagram fodder of direct messaging that you and I have seen. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, this is what I got from, from my friend. He said, hey, I got the skinny on Slater. He is here in Hawaii rehabbing, did not go to Australia because of the WSL would not allow him to see his doctor or physical therapist during quarantine. And he felt 14 days without treatment would be too much for him to come over there. He is planning on surfing in the second half of the Australian events if Australia opens up restrictions, which they are supposed to do by early April. His injuries are real. They're, uh, they're they're not so much worse than reported, but they're just keep going on and on and on.
0: And somebody also messaged me saying it's actually a hip injury. I know they talked about his foot injury from Jay Bayer. That's what he cited, but the current injury that wasn't cited is more of a hip injury that he's treating. So,
1: yeah, look, the, 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 knee bones connected to the tailbone, you know, like at this age, you know, things just act up and then they move around and um, you know, he's, he's not as sprightly young as he once was, but I mean, if anyone has the resources to sort of, you know, Phys, you know, th- you know, therapy away all the issues. Maybe get into like a cryogenic bath every morning and drink the laird coffee and get up and do all of the different stuff that's available. The to top level athletes, it's Kelly Slater. So, and in my podcast with Joe, Joe, I was surprised. Joe Trappel. So I interviewed Joe Trappel in the Boardroom podcast. He was, um, he was. It was almost as if he had information that he wasn't kind of quite telling me, but he, it sounded very optimistic that Kelly's going to be over there, maybe even for Narrabeen, which, um, you, know, is, you know, three weeks, three weeks away. So you could see three weeks of rehab helping Slater be there and drop into to the Narrabeen event, missing Newcastle. And because, as you mentioned, which is which is just, you know, sort of the. The bit, you know, the white elephant in the room or the elephant in the room is that he's in third place right now and he's competitive as shit. And if he's going to win a 12th, it could very well happen this season.
0: Yeah. And we don't know how many events will ultimately run, but if they throw away two scores like they normally do in a regular season, then he could just throw away Newcastle and presumably surf well in the future events and get in that top five and have a shot at lowers. You know, yeah. it's not crazy. No, it's um, not, no. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I posted footage from Surfline that I pulled from Surfline of him surfing YMA a shore break of all things. You know what I mean? It's kind of (laughs) like, yeah, yeah. it's like, come on, dude. Like if you were (laughs) filing a workman's comp thing at work and they got footage of you doing this, You'd get fired, and you'd lose your comp benefits. Like it's not this, like it's not like he's a you know some benign Waikiki soft exactly. roller. <laughs> exactly, he's like, yeah, I didn't feel great, so I ate it on a couple, and it cuts to Him dropping into a double up overhead left, and like hitting the bottom flat, like completely just um, yeah. absorbing all the shock of the impact in his straight body. Like it didn't look good uh but no. you know how are you gonna keep a guy out of the water whether he calls in <laughs> sick or not like he's gonna surf.
1: he got some good ones too there was one really good one that he got right where he got yeah. spit up i mean
0: yeah. that would have been the wave of my life dude and it's just like eh. no doubt yeah no doubt um but it's funny it's fun to fun to poke and prod um so i obvious oh so joe Turpel. uh he's so affable. Like I only listened to the first half. I didn't, I like had to pause it and I never ended up going back, but are you guys best friends? It sounds like you're best friends from the moment you push record. He is everybody's best friend. Yeah. He's, he,
1: I mean, uh, you know, as my, um, my little uh, intro into the podcast stated, he's just a genuinely kind human being, you know, and some people sort of, I was talking to my wife about it. Some people, um, are just sort of blessed with like this grace of, of kindness and love, you know, like it's in their spirit. And, and you know, people like this. I know people like this. And Joe's one of those people like this, you know, that are just, they just go, God, that's a good person, you know, and they exist. And Joe's one of them. And so are we best friends? No. Last time I spoke with him, as mentioned was 10 years ago, when Baldy and I were doing our radio show in San Diego, we had him
0: on. And uh, anyway, but he's, even he's even guy. that even that he remembered and called out like it was yesterday. He knew exactly which hotel he was staying in when you talked and what he did the very next day. It you know it I had no idea. Feel, <laughs> I know it makes, but he <laughs> made you feel, and I felt for you. Yeah, you're the most important yeah. person in in the world right now. He's talking to you. Exactly. You're the most
1: important person in the
0: world. Exactly. So,
1: That's an incredible quality to have. That's like if there's one thing any listener should take away from this or that podcast is that ability. To make people remember you because you're such a nice human being.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, uh, how you make somebody feel about themselves says a lot about you, you know. And his goal is generally to make people feel good about themselves. But I see the, feel the thing is,
1: I don't, I don't think it's a goal. See, I just think it's a natural it's not like he doesn't set out to do that. That's the beauty is that that's sincere. You know, it's not like this. Oh, I'm going to make him feel good about you. Themselves. No, it's you know a state I mean?
0: of being. Right. Um. So I've spent. Dude, recording podcasts is exhausting by the way. <laughs> I,
1: I've got one later today. I'm, I'm interviewing PT. He's going to be at my house in two hours.
0: Uh, that'll wear you out. Uh, But yeah. two, a, two a days are freaking brutal. and, yeah. And so anyways, I've, I, so I've been interviewing, uh, some who, of the, who, have, who have you done so far? Some of the athletes in quarantine. I did Lakey Peterson and Connor coffin last week. I've got, I did Sage Erickson yesterday. I've got Connor O'Leary later today. And then Jordy is agreed to do it, but he needed, wow. he needed a couple of days, um, for what I don't know, he's busy. And then, so we're going to try to connect later in the week, but he's all in. So hopefully that comes together. I don't promise anything until like it's actually yeah. can, but uh it's so fascinating, right? Like like you really get a understanding for somebody's headspace or even ability. I could predict the future of these people's career after having one conversation with them, is what I will say. Of
1: course, that's because you were <laughs> ultra trepidarian.
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But for example, like Sage okay, so I go into an interview with Lakey Peterson and I, I can ask her, who is your biggest threat to winning a world title? And she has, a, she has an answer to that question because she's at that top level where she's isolating, you know, and then with Sage, it's like, shoot, that's not a fair question. Who is your biggest uh, threat to winning a world title? Because there isn't just one person, right? But furthermore, she just offers up, you know, I don't know that I even see myself winning a world title. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And, and I'm not offended by it. I was just shocked to hear her say it, you know? And she's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, you know, like, honestly, it's not the most important thing in the world to me. And I can see the women who are winning world titles, that it is the only reason for existence and I don't know. It's just not that way for me. That's
1: weird, man. I know. I know. I know. So, I mean, even if she feels like that, she shouldn't say that. There's got to be some handler that's like, don't say that.
0: I don't know that I agree with you. I thought that initially when she said it, but as I thought about it, I thought, you know, um, being authentic, Why? like being authentic is really all that matters. And so I'd rather have her be authentic and tell me her truth and she can win a few events like she does she wins yeah. events she stays on tour she's uh relatable everybody loves her isn't that valuable too like it, and i don't want her to lie and be like i've got the eye of no. the tiger i did 40 pushups before i took this call and i'm going to take out the next i'm i'm okay yeah. with her being authentic but do you think Only it's, it's her a psych-
1: is it a psychological strategy like no. is it it, could, is it, 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 it could, her way could, of of going, I don't want to set expectations too high. I'd rather kind of build
0: up to it. It could be, and but I don't think it is for her. And I think with somebody like Jack Robinson, he keeps his cards close to his vest. You never hear him being overly confident. He, but he, we we know quietly that he just knows that he can take everybody out. You know, and with Sage, I didn't feel like it was any of that. It was her putting her heart on her sleeve and just being like, "Look." I have all these other interests in life and you guys worried about winning this trophy is a little bit silly, you know, but I'm also competitive and I'll win an event here and there. That that's kind of the vibe that I got. And I'm not, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed her. I think she's amazing and her surfing has, has value and she holds women to account on tour when she draws them in a heat, you know? So like, there's lots of value there. I was just shocked to hear it. And some similar sentiments from Connor coffin too, to be honest. Um, so yeah. So it's, it's fascinating. I just want to catch a few
1: waves and have fun and experience this part of my life. And whatever happens, happens, happens.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you got? different, different, but similar, you know? Yeah. And so it's just, again, I recognized it off a lot in prep for the conversation that the preps I have for Jordy are I, okay, very, that's very different.
1: This is very interesting. So the Jordy one's the one that's most interesting to me personally right because i think we both feel like it's it's i don't know if it's now or never but it's within the next couple of years right for yeah. jordy and um i don't know what how did he do it pipe do you re- have that in your notes fifth. anywhere okay so he's got a fit that's not bad that's a keeper right and I talked to Joe about this because Joe was really high on Jordy because I asked Joe, I go, what, who is your top five at lowers? I go, David and I determined uh, who our top five are going to be. Let's who are your top. And he threw Jordy in the mix. And I kind of was like, well, look, he's got to go to Newcastle. That's not necessarily Jordy Smith's wave relative to. I mean, you could see Kayo or a million other hot Brazilians doing really well there and taking Jordy out. Then Marabine, that's also a wild card. So that sort of speaks to we hope it's big at Margaret River and who knows what's going to happen at Rottnest. And then he's got to deal with Lamar. So seems like Jordy's got a lot of stuff built up against him is all I was suggesting to Joe and to you. So I hope you bring that up in the conversation. Well, you know, it seems like the cards are stacked against. him.
0: And to second your point, Rio isn't a strength for him chopu isn't a strength for him and those are still on the schedule whether or not they run um he has said he's too tall and big for surf ranch and so yeah you can wash that one away i mean he's got to put all of his money on winning margaret's and maybe Rotness.
1: yeah good luck i mean with john john at, at, at margaret river i it, the whole tour is actually kind of fascinating you and i've spoken about it but there's so much pressure on these Every each and every event yeah. and when you think about like um, somebody like julian wilson who didn't do well at pipe there's got to be a lot of pressure on him to go to newcastle and yeah. and beat you know you know all these kind of younger qs guys that are now on tour that are that have been battling out in in waves like newcastle so anyway go ahead it, it's going to be fascinating i the think good news. For, I'm, I'm actually looking forward to watching shitty newcastle to just see the because there's instantly a ton of it feels like every event is pressure packed.
0: Yeah, I guess so. And the good news specific to Julian is a lot of his free surf clips come from Newcastle. Like he surfs Newcastle. He's living there now. Yeah. So he might have an advantage there. Make up for lost ground at Pipe. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, I got to kind of get into wrap up mode. I've yeah. got to move on with my day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're up early yeah. baking bread before we even podcast together. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What time do you wake up?
1: Um, that's proprietary information, but, uh, I can't reveal it this time, but I'll may let you
0: know later. <laughs> 10 minutes earlier <laughs> every year, or 30 minutes earlier every year. <laughs> Are you on the four 30 program uh, yet?
1: Uh, maybe
0: <laughs> get up, bake some bread for the house, record a podcast and go surfing. Oh, When
1: you wake up in the morning and there's bread baking the
0: smell of the home. It's incredible. It really is. Hey, I got a question for you. I, I don't know why I thought about this recently. It was actually a couple of weeks ago. You said something. It made me think about where do you, once your kids are out of the house, where would you like to retire?
1: Oh, wow. That's Have you a thought about it? Oh yeah. Yeah. So there's this, there's this ball and chain that's attached to me, which is surfing, right? Which is the ocean, which is problematic for retiring unless you're extremely wealthy or even a little bit wealthy, right? you It's hard to, so, so part of me is like, I would like to go somewhere, <laughs> you know, like Montana or Idaho or Utah or somewhere just kind of, or Colorado, somewhere beautiful that's got some space, not much, maybe even the Eastern Washington area. Um, and and just get some space and have a cool little home and some space and not be worried about surfing anymore or catching waves. That's, you know, 15 years down the, down the road here, but um, something like that. Or there's, you know, Mexico is there somewhere warm, you know, somewhere warm makes a lot of sense, somewhere in Mexico. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with retiring right here in, in North San Diego County. It's a pretty beautiful place. What about Hawaii? Uh, maybe. Maybe Hawaii is certainly a place to consider. Hawaii is kind of crowded. It's kind of hard to, I don't know if I could muster up enough resources to get a nice big place in Hawaii where it's, you you want, you want, if you're going to move from here, you want space. Yeah. In my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. But then there's tax issues. There's Texas, which I guess is just sick and tired. All of these places I mentioned are like, God, not another Californian. Like there's right. all these stories in the news about Montana and Idaho and Texas, and they don't want any more Californians. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, there's a reason they're moving there, and it's because income tax is a big deal. That's why people move to Texas and Florida. There's no income tax, so their retirement savings doesn't get taxed.
0: Right. Well, it's a um, big deal i don't know why i thought about that with you i think we were talking about maybe some surfboard shapers who had retired or something and i was like man that's got to be on your at least 10 year kind of horizon 10 15 year horizon something you start thinking about and yeah with surfing with surfing it's um does limit your options um well we'll have do you have a must-see moment
1: i have watched a lot of good stuff um Somebody sent me this really good. I, I need to bring it up, but there's this really good bodyboarding video that's yeah. got Noah Dean.
0: Drag. Yeah, have you
1: seen drag? Yeah. Drag that's that's insane. That's got to be my musty moment. Yeah. Everyone needs to watch drag. It's on YouTube. It's got Noah Dean. It's got a bunch of surfers like Mitch Colburn, right? And it's an hour-long thing, but there's a lot of comedy in it. it it's pretty cool. I'm I'm a big fan of that.
0: Yeah, I didn't watch the whole thing. It's so long, but it's good. And I'm way behind this week. I didn't watch the latest installment of Billy or Andy Irons and the Radicals. So I got some catch up to do. Um, What I will say is that among all the surfers in quarantine, the Colapinto brothers are cracking me up. Are you following them? I'm not. No. They've got their filmer with them. I don't know what his name is. And he's just. Tanner? I don't know. But he's crushing it with content, just like all day, every day, just editing and posting, editing and posting. And those kids are a riot. So follow the Cola Pinto brothers if you want well, to laugh. I,
1: by the way, we spoke about Crosby as a wild card. Um, and Joe sort of backed that up. Be on the lookout for Crosby, Cola Pinto to do some damage. I don't know Crosby that much, but everything I'm hearing is that he's a big, large, strong guy. And um, and he's young and sprightly still. So he, you know, look out for Crosby
0: and his sparring partners are all C tiers, So he's familiar. I don't know that he'll experience the nerves that somebody else would. And, um, I don't see him winning an event, but I could see him that, winning a few heats and taking out I could see some, him, some, yeah, doing damage vulnerable on, people. Oh uh, yeah. A somebody, or a Jordy. Or, yeah. Jordy or Julian who come in and just kind of overlook him and he posts yeah, two eights, you know, exactly. So yeah, lots to look forward to. Um, Idolo Ferreira is looking. Oh my God, have you been? So I so he fit. went live. Did you watch him go live? No. So he went live on Instagram
1: a couple days ago, and I turned it on immediately. And he's got the boombox. I put it on my Instagram uh, story. He's got the boombox. He's going, and he's got the DJ below him on a split screen who's doing, who's singing the song or made the music or whatever. And the DJ is just all Dang! And they're all talking Portuguese, and I's just going. Dang! just going crazy you know and i'm like oh my this is over the top but i screen captured it and put it on there but elo wins quarantine for
0: sure and and looks so fit like he did this wall climb thing where it's like you put it's almost like a push-up and then you just lift your feet onto the wall and then yeah. you walk your feet up the wall do a push-up again walk your feet up of the wall do a push-up again walk your feet up until you're completely vertical doing a handstand against the wall and then he does a backflip somehow. I for, actually, for that one, I think he just, I think that one he just like goes down onto the ground. But there's another one where he finishes the exercise, stands up, does a full backflip, just a standing backflip. And you're just like, what? I saw that. Like what in the world? The guy's on you the know next what? level. Somebody mentioned something that
1: I think is really, really important. And it's this thing that quarantine has done is we are closer to the surfers than we've ever been. A lot of it is due to guys like you who are doing these interviews. Joe Trapel is doing some quarantine interviews. And I feel like a whole different layer of, of understanding of who these surfers are has come to light. And it's something that needs to continue without quarantine. The WSL would be silly to not almost mandate that these guys do podcasts, a certain number of podcasts, or like like, we can't not know what's going through these people's heads. The fact that you got Sage Erickson to say what she said, this type of thing is going to drive the um, attention of the WSL and the need for the public to be intrigued by it. It can't just be this person who we don't know in a red jersey got two eights. It has 100%. to be. I know we've been speaking about this for years, but and- now it's like we've seen it come to light. You know, like I like I had uh, the other day I had Felipe kyle a filmer named tanner and um leo all in four screens on a live instagram feed and i was just sitting there listening to them go and they were just talking to each other and there was so much i learned so I, all of a sudden i'm like fans i'm a bigger fan of kyle than i ever was. i've always been a fan of kyle's by the way but you know this guy they, i was almost like we should start a GoFundMe page for kyle but anyway yeah. it's pretty interesting um what's quarantine and Instagram live has done to reveal these people's personalities. And it needs
0: to continue. I agree. Tanner is Kanoa Igarashi's filmer. If it's the same Tanner okay. I'm thinking of.
1: Yeah. Like I learned about Kanoa Igarashi from Tanner. Do you know who his favorite surfer is forever?
0: Kanoa? Just some. I did. Yeah. Julian who? Wilson.
1: No, there's some random Brazilian guy that is, if they were all talking about him, they're like, yeah, that for like five years, that's all kanoa could focus on was this one guy and i forget his name but um Who's... i'm sure now it might it might be julian now but forever leo and the the filmer and they were all going oh yeah and then they got into like a deep dive on brazilian red hot brazilian guys that no one knows about you know which was kind of interesting
0: man i'm dying to know who that brazilian surfer was
1: i'm sorry I, I, tanner would throw it out at, or let leo
0: was he a competitor that we like saw for a oh boat? yeah hey yeah, he was like a,
1: It might have been i i I want to say it started with an m but
0: oh yeah uh it's not going to come to me yeah it was something that rung bell. okay well at any rate more to come throughout this week and next newcastle waiting period starts uh, april 1st so i'll see you twice before then um we owe a shout out, of course, as always, to the one sponsor who's been with us for years and kept us in business. Need Essentials.
1: Yeah, man. Need Essentials. I got all their gear. I've, God, it was so cold the other night. Uh, that night where I had soup out at Seaside Market, and I had my full-on puffy, like super warm Need Essentials. The one with the hood, and I was. I've
0: yeah, been wearing that super
1: warm winter one.
0: I've been wearing that thing on dog walks uh, in the morning like before 7 a.m., not only is it warm, but you know, the hood is like a noise canceller. I cannot wear the hood because I can't hear cars coming and I can't, like it's debilitates my senses and it goes just around oh. the periphery to where I just have tunnel vision. So the hood, while it serves a purpose on the mountain and for warmth, cannot hear cars coming. It's a noise canceling <laughs> hood.
1: <laughs> it is super warm. And I'm a big fan of that, of that jacket, the big, big, warm wintertime puffy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know. We've said it before in the past, so maybe we don't need to, but it's been a while. Neat Essentials. It is the premium quality without any of the fuss. It's all one color, black, kind of an off blue, dark blue, almost black, no hang tags, no retailer, no middleman. So what that amounts to is it's half the price of what you would pay for from a premium brand that you see in retail, but it's still the same exact quality, premium quality for half the price. Need Essentials, USA.com in the US, NeatEssentials.com elsewhere, and uh, wetsuits, board shorts, outerwear for the mountain, all that stuff, grip, traction, sunblock now, leashes, booties, everything you need
1: absolutely big fan of neat essentials and i send friends there all the time me to, too to get their get their stuff
0: yeah all right scott uh next week see you again yeah
1: next week until next time adios and aloha.